Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into uh, this week's message. Lord, we just invite your Spirit to be here today. Do a work that only you can do. I know I say that almost every week, but Lord, it's, it's not by our power, it's not by our might, it's not by my words, it's not by our efforts, even as this team goes and, and, and is sent off to serve. Lord, we know that it's by your Spirit. And so, Lord, we just ask that your Spirit would flow through this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. We are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And as I've said in the previous weeks, if you, I want, I want to challenge you. Make a commitment that you're going to go back. And if you've missed any, I know it's summer. I know we're all over the place. We're on vacations. We're doing all these things. Make a commitment that one way or the other, you're going to hear every one of these messages on 1 Corinthians and track all the way through the whole book with us. Because there's some things that are foundational things that build as we go through this. And, and so I just want to challenge you. We've got our messages online. We've got video options, podcast options. It's, it's all there for you to just jump and, and click and, and to participate and catch up. Uh, if, I'm going to give you just a quick little background into this book. It's a, it's a letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he writes this letter because five years before this letter, he had planted this church in Corinth. And Corinth was a city that was filled with lust. It was filled with materialism. It was a, a boom town overnight. And really, it was just thriving in a lot of ways and had a lot of, not necessarily spirituality, but had a lot of philosophical interests and people following certain teachers. And it was easy for them to get distracted and, and get into divisions, which we saw in the first chapter. And it was easy for them to start taking sides as to, you know, some of them started to say, hey, I really like Paul. When Paul was here for 18 months, and some people are saying, I really like this Apollos guy who's come after Paul. And so there was just a lot going on. And, and Paul has to write this letter to the church that is there, this little church that had kind of gotten off track, and to write the ship if he could. And he's encouraging them because they were a church that was really on fire for God, we could say, but they were really immature. The problem was that they thought they were more mature than they actually were. And I wonder if that may apply to some of us today. If sometimes we can be really, we think we're further along than what we actually are. And so as we get into today's message, um, one of the things we've got to note from the last few weeks is these guys were just obsessed with their leaders. They were obsessed with Paul or Peter or, or Apollos and, and really taking sides as to who was the best leader. And I just want to address that today. What, what's, what makes a good leader? You know, what makes a good leader? You know, many of us can think of people in our life that we would consider good leaders in our life, or maybe even spiritual mentors in our life. Or as we look at culture today, and we can see different people that we see, well, that person must have good leadership skills because they are doing this or doing that, and we could see the success on them, or maybe favor, or maybe they're a great organizer, or maybe they're really skilled uh, as an athlete, or wh whatever it may be. We talk about locker room, having leadership in the locker room. What makes a good leader? And that's really what they were fighting over is what makes a good leader. I love what John Maxwell says, and some of you guys uh, have heard this before, but he boils it down to, I mean, we could say all these different things as to what leadership is. He simply says it this way, that leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. And if you're influencing, then you're leading. Now, uh, 
In that day, though, here's the problem. In their culture, in their day, they wouldn't have said, uh, and this was the problem Paul was dealing with, they wouldn't have said leadership is influence. They would have said maybe, and I'm maybe putting words in their mouth, but they maybe would have said that leadership is affluence. In other words, concentrated wealth and power whether that be through the way that they, they thought or the, the, the amount of uh, uh, impact they had in certain areas because of the culture. You see, it's so easy to, to blend in influence with culture, blend in godly leadership with culture. And so I wonder if today we still have some of that problem. Not, not that we think that leadership in the body of Christ is all about wealth and power, but, but how many times does it become that? That we just throw in what leadership is in the world with leadership in the church or in our Christian walk. And so, uh, who are leaders? Well, I would say, in one sense, every one of us are leaders. I mean, yes, we can see standout leaders, and there's a spiritual gift of leadership, and no doubt we can see people who are more effective at leading than others, but if leadership is influence, then every single one of us here is leading someone somewhere somehow, because we're all influencing someone. And so I just want to address that today, that leadership is really about persuasion. It's about influence, and we're all called to lead in some area. We all have different platforms. We all have different influence. We all have different callings. We all have different arenas. We all, you may be a mother in the home teaching your kids. Well, you are a leader in that environment. You, you may be a business person at work and influencing people in your place of business, and you are a leader in that environment. You may have friendships, and you may find yourself in certain leadership times because of the need to influence in certain situations. And so leadership comes in all shapes and sizes, and it's really all about influence. And here's where we get it messed up. If we start to drift into this idea that leadership is affluence, then we start to think about leadership in the terms of titles. And we start to think, well, if it's about importance, if it's about concentrated wealth or power, then if somebody were to give me a title of a leader, then I would have concentrated wealth and power, and so I could actually become a leader if I only had a title. Here's the thing we have to understand, that leadership is a matter of function and not title. You're either leading or not. And so some people, you know, I've been a pastor long enough and had a lot of people come to me and it's like, hey, I want to be a leader. Hey, I want to be in charge of this. Or, hey, I want to start this. And I look at their life and I'm thinking, you're not functioning as a leader in any other area of our ministry or of our church. Why would I just slap a title on and then all of a sudden you become a leader? That's not how it works. And so what we do around here is we look for leadership functioning. And when we see leadership functioning, then we begin to call that higher because that's the way leadership should work. It's not affluence. If I get a title, then I'll be a leader. It's influence. And then I will eventually be able to step into a position of leadership. Amen? Does anybody see that? All right. Just making sure we're on the same page. So leadership in the kingdom is influence as well. And all of us should desire to become kingdom influencers. Is there anybody here who wants to influence others for the kingdom of God? Do you realize that you will influence others, whether you try to or not? It could be a negative influence, a positive influence. You will. There was a study done over uh, 20 years' time of about 4,700 people. And the study, they concluded that joy is contagious. That joy is contagious. And so they were doing all this. I don't, I don't know all the details of the study. Uh, but they concluded that it was so contagious that it could affect you uh, up to three people away. 
So in other words, if you had a friend of a friend that becomes happy or joyful, you would in some way be influenced by that. Isn't that amazing? So think about your life right now. Think about how many people you could influence that you may not even be aware that you're influencing, whether it be through joy or it be through depression, whether it be through good things or it be through bad things. Uh, They said that a a happy friend will impact you more than a $5,000 raise. Now, that's kind of surprising because a lot of us think, I'd really be happy if I had a $5,000 raise. And they said, no, a happy friend will actually influence you more than a $5,000 raise. And that's the way that God's wired us because he's wired us for influence. And, And he's wired us for influence, and that's a form of leadership. Do you realize that we become an average, it's said, that we become an average of the top five people that we hang around the most? Who knows if that's true or not, but think about the top five people that you hang around. Do you want to become a mutual fund average of those five people? Well, the reality is because the power of influence is so strong that the top five people that you hang around are going to be who you become. And some of us, that might be scary, and some of us, that might be inspiring and exciting, but nonetheless, it's still true. Now, last week, I talked about uh, this quote from Mark Batterson, and he said, how many of you guys have been following Jesus for, for 10 years? Anybody following Jesus 10 years? How many of you guys, 20 years, 20 years, 25, you can get it, 25, all right, 25 years. He said this, some have been Christians, some people have been Christians for 25 years. The problem is that they don't have 25 years of experience following Jesus. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times. Why? Because they never grew up in Christ. See, following Jesus is not about length of following Jesus. It's about moving forward. Now, when I talk about this topic today of leadership and how infatuated they were with leadership, the real issue is that they thought that they were further along than what they actually were in their leadership. And so Paul is addressing that here in 1 Corinthians. And so uh, every one of us should have a desire in us to be a kingdom influencer. And I just want to ask the question today, are we farther along in our minds than what we actually are in this area of being a kingdom influencer? And so let's look at this. Let's look at Paul. He begins to remind us and remind them and to lay out what it looks like to be a kingdom influencer, a kingdom leader in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 1, he says this, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul says right there, he says, it's not about affluence, it's about influence, and here's how you influence in the kingdom of God. Number one, it's about serving, not being served. See, in this world, it's so easy for us to look at at leadership as, well, the higher up I get in leadership, whether it be in business or life or in church or whatever, that the more people are going to serve me and my mission, my thing, my business, whatever it is. Instead, Paul reminds us, he says, leadership in the kingdom of God is about serving, not being served. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any other human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not therefore acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. So he goes on and he says, guys, I don't really care if you think I'm a great leader or not. 
He's like, I, I, I don't want to be judged by you. And he said, in fact, I don't even trust my own judgment about myself. The only place for me to really go is God who knows my heart. And we have to constantly unplug from man's opinion of us because there are going to be people in times in your life where everybody pats you on the back and says, you are doing awesome. Well, it doesn't matter what they think, does it? Or does it? There's going to be times in your life when you look at what you're doing, you say, man, I'm doing bad or I'm doing great. Well, it doesn't really matter what you think. What matters is what does God think? And when we go to God, God's the only one who can truly judge. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one versus the other, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you didn't receive it, then how can you boast as if you, you did? And what he's saying there, I screwed up the words there, but what he's saying there is this. How can you take credit for something that's a gift from God? You're all boasting about this and that and the other, and, and you're trying to be judged in, in, by a human court or judged by what you think about yourself, but really you have to go back to God. This, this idea of serving instead of being served, is about actions, yes, but ultimately, it's about our heart. And God's the only one who knows what's really in our heart. Are we serving for the right reasons? Are we leading for the right reasons? Are we influencing others for the right reasons in our business, in our families, in our homes, in our church? Are we doing all that? Only God can know. And you can do all of the right things and your actions on the external and your words can all be one way, but only God knows the heart. And he's saying at the end of this whole thing, God's going to make all this stuff come to light because you can serve the Lord for the wrong reasons. You can serve anywhere for the wrong reasons. And so he's basically saying this, in your heart, are you a consumer or a contributor? Are you in it for others? Are you in it for yourself? It's about serving, not being served. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, we see this example of the churches like exploding. I mean, they're having all these salvations. They're having all this success, if you will. And they run into a leadership crisis because uh, there's too much to do. And so they start to address this in verse 1. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, which those are Greek-speaking Jews, by the way, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may be able to appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they did. They picked out some people and they, became, uh, they began to serve. And life went on and everything started to get taken care of. So... We have two different types of people represented in this little snippet here. We have the complainers, the Hellenists, which there's probably a reason why they were called Hellenists. Um, there's some of those in every church, I'll tell you that. And uh, they were the complainers. Not that they didn't have, you know what? You can have a legitimate complaint and still be a complainer, right? And so they were complainers. And then you had the contributors. You had the ones that stepped up and said, you know what? It's not about me. I'm willing to serve. And they became kingdom influencers. Uh, and here's the difference. The complainers treated 
the church, let's just go in the church context for a while. The complainers treated the church like a restaurant instead of a family reunion. A restaurant instead of a family reunion. You guys know there's a difference between a restaurant and a family table, right? I mean, at a a restaurant, you expect to be served, you know? You expect somebody's going to come out and they're going to bring stuff. In fact, you even tip them for doing that and you expect to be served. So many times we come to church and we come into to the kingdom and we expect to be served like it's a restaurant. And that was one group of people represented in the story. But, you know, there's a difference between a restaurant and a family dinner table. So let me just say it this way. If Journey Church, for example, doesn't feel like home, how are we treating it? Are we coming up to the table and saying, feed me? Or are we coming to the table and getting ready to pick up the dishes and, and wash the dishes or to, to pass out the rolls? See, that's the difference. I could even say the kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God, you feel like an outsider, like I really don't know where I fit in the kingdom of God, I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you treating it like a restaurant, like what can God do for me? Or are you treating it like this is a family reunion? How can I serve? How can I be a part of what's happening? You see, What's better than friends? Family. It's great to have friends, but there's something different about family. I may go out to dinner with friends, but I tell you what, I live with family. And when you live with family, you're not always being served, are you? When you get done with your plate, my kids need to take their dishes to the sink, right? I'm not just going to sit there and do, do all the work for them. It's why? Because you're part of a family, And when you're part of a family, then you feel apart. Now, if I show up to the restaurant and they don't cook my food right, I can just never come back. If I show up to church and they don't cook my food right, I can just never come back. See, and that's that's the difference is serving or being served. I've shared this story before, but uh, years ago, my wife and I, we were on the plaza, and, and we were just, I was just dressed probably like I am now, just jeans or whatever. I probably had a t-shirt on. And uh, so we just decided to find some place to eat. And so we see this steak place, and it turns out it's like this really fancy steak place that costs like $100 a plate or something like that. We didn't know that really going in. We knew it was kind of expensive. But so we go in there, there's like white tablecloths everywhere, and there's people running around with, you know, all, it's just fancy, you know. And, and Beck and I, we can roll with a lot of different things, but some things we just, you know, we just, I feel more comfortable just hanging out in a t-shirt, you know? So, uh, so we're sitting in this restaurant and, and you're buying like a hundred dollars worth of a plate or whatever it was. And they're, you know, it was good, but we're waiting for the, the food to come. And I, I'm eating like a little roll, you know, and, and on this white tablecloth, these little crumbs fell from my, from my roll as I was eating. And I, out of nowhere, this guy appeared ping, and just like, He's got his hair all pulled back. He's dressed all like this. He's got this little tiny brush and this little dustpan looking thing. And he's like cleaning up the, he's cleaning up the, the crumbs. And like I say, you know, he whisked off and I'm like, I can roll with a little bit of that. But now I'm trying to think, man, I'm going to time this guy and see if I can drop a few more crumbs, see how quick he is, you know. And, and that's like an example of a lot of times how we treat it. We're like, man, I, a few crumbs made a little bit of mess. When's somebody going to clean up this mess? Don't you know that if I'm sitting at a home and, and my kids are eating their roll and some crumbs fall on the table, 
You know, if they expected me to come over with a little brush and a little dustpan and clean up after them, I'd laugh in their face, man. I would, I'd be like, you got to be kidding. You get a, a rag and you clean it up yourself, you know? Why? Because it's different being family, isn't it? And so uh, the Bible talks about serving, not being served. It talks about, uh, for example, it says in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. That's to serve. In Galatians 5.13, it says to serve one another. Galatians 6.2, it says carry one another's burdens. In Colossians 3.16, it says teach and admonish one another. In Hebrews 3.13, it says encourage one another daily. In Hebrews 10.24, it says spur one another on with love and, and to love and good works. And I could just keep going on and on and on. See, the kingdom is all about serving. And if you want to be a kingdom influencer... I tell you, you will never be a kingdom influencer if it's about you being served. Let me give you, how do you know what a true servant is? I'll give you a definition of how you can know what a true servant in the kingdom of God. Now, some of this is going to rock your world here, and you're going to be offended, but that's all right. Uh, True servants' hearts are revealed not by serving in the areas they want, but by serving in areas that they don't. True servants' hearts are revealed because anybody can serve in an area they want. But a true servant's heart is revealed by those who have the same heart to serve in an area they don't want to. Do you think anybody wants to wash somebody else's feet? No. I don't even think Jesus wanted to, okay? But a true servant's heart serves just as joyfully in an area that they don't want to than in areas that they do. Becoming a kingdom influencer is about serving, not being served. That was really good, but we still got more. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, or verse 8 through 10. He says, already you have all you want. Now, there's a very interesting thing here in Scripture. You're getting ready to go into a section where you're going to hear Paul be a little sarcastic. He starts to be sarcastic with them, which is really interesting to see in Scripture. Watch this. He, he's, telling, he, he's, he's telling them sarcastically this next paragraph. He says, already, you, you got everything you want. You've already become rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would, you, would that you did reign so that we might share the, that rule with you. He says, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we, became, we have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. And he's like, we're fools for Christ, but, but you're so wise in Christ. He, he's like, we're weak, but, but you're, you're so strong. You know, you're held in honor, but we're held in dishonor. So Paul starts to say, you think you got it all figured out, don't you? You think you got it all figured out that if, if you can just be, you know, if you can be comfortable and you can be served and you can be fighting over which leader's the best and all of these things that, that you're reigning like a king and you already have everything that you want. And he starts to go into this section in contrast. He's like, well, then if it's all about the spiritual fathers and you're saying, hey, my spiritual dad is better than your spiritual dad, then why don't you look like any of us? He says, if you want to look at our life, look at our life. He's like, look what's going on in our life. He's like, there's a big contrast between us as spiritual fathers and you as spiritual kids. What's the difference there? You know, and if you think you're all right, then what's going on? You think leadership is about affluence instead of influence. Verse 11, he says, to this present hour, he even goes further. He says, to this present hour, we hunger and thirst. 
We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He says, I don't write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He cares, he cares not about all the pain he's going through. What he cares about more is that his, his spiritual kids are missing it. His heart is more for them that they're missing it even than all the pain that he's going through. And this is the second thing he reminds us about spiritual kingdom influencers, godly leadership is this, that it's about his purposes, not our pain. If you want to become a kingdom influencer, you know, and, and you want to avoid pain, you're probably not going to be able to do it. And I, I, I'm just saying that sometimes we have to step into things that are hard to do, and we've got to be more about his purposes than we ever consider our pain. Paul felt pain. Here's the interesting thing. Paul felt pain, but he only paid attention to godly pain. And this is going to be key here in just a minute. Paul felt pain. He listed off all this pain. But what was on Paul's radar more than any of the pain that he listed was the pain for his kids, his spiritual kids. That's where his pain. He felt pain, but he only paid attention to godly pain. And here's the thing about godly pain. Now, I know this sounds weird, but I'm just trying to put it in a way that makes you think a little differently about it. Godly pain never focuses on hurting. Godly pain focuses on the hurting. So in other words, you may receive pain from God, and any pain you receive from God is not about, not something to focus internally as I'm being hurt by God. The only pain you will receive from God is a pain that comes that's about someone else, when your heart hurts for somebody else. And Paul received a lot of pain in his life, and he did not pay attention to that pain and did not glorify that, but his real pain was shifted into a pain for someone else. So uh, I, I was, my wife and I, we were running, getting ready to run earlier this week, and it was like, I don't know, felt like 100 degrees or something. And so she's texting me. She's like, uh, do you, you feel like running? And I was like, I don't know. I, my foot has actually been bothering me when I was running. I just didn't know if I could continue and make it all the way through the run. And so I texted that. I was like, but I'll give it a shot anyway. You know, my, my foot has been bothering me. I, I hope, hope I can make it through. And so we went out and we started to run, you know, and my foot is in pain. Rewind the tape three hours uh, because three hours previous to that, we were out at Olive Garden. Now, how many of you guys like Olive Garden? Anybody like Olive Garden? All right. How many of you guys are familiar with their, their like endless soup thing, right? Where they have four different kinds of soup. So I ordered the lasagna and then ordered the endless bowl of soup. And so I started to eat the soup. I know it's summer. I just didn't care. I just wanted to eat the soup. And so I ate the soup. And then I'm like, okay, give me the next variety of soup. And so I went and I ate that one. I thought, this is it. This is on. I'm going for all four. I'm going for all four right now. And so I went all the way through all four. They should give you a t-shirt or something for eating all four of them. I made it all the way through and started working on the lasagna. Remember, this is three hours earlier. And then three hours later, I'm out running. So I'm running. My foot's hurting. But very quickly, I stopped thinking about my foot. <laughs> Because I've got a gallon and a half of Olive Garden soup sloshing around inside of my body. 
and I am gasping for air. And I'm so focused on keeping that soup inside of my body. I made it all the way through very strong. And we get to the end and my wife's like, how's your foot? My foot? Oh yeah, my foot. I forgot all about the pain in my foot. And here, here's the thing. One pain replaced the other. One pain replaced the other. Have you guys ever had a, a little nagging pain or something like that? And it's just kind of whatever it is. And then as you're going through life, you, you stub your pinky toe. What, what was the other pain? I don't even know, you know. One pain replaced the other. And here's what we need to do as leaders, influencers. And every one of us is influencing somewhere. We need to allow God to shift our pain. If we're so focused on what, we're, what our pain is, if Paul was overly focused on everything he was going through, he would have never finished the race. Listen, if I was only focused on my foot, I don't know if I would have finished the race that day. But because there was a new pain introduced, I was, I was up for the challenge. Any pain that I'm going through, I, I want God to redirect that pain for a purpose. Amen? I'm just going to ask God, God, how can this be used? How can I refocus this pain for a purpose? Let my pain be used for someone else to lift them up, to help them out. Let my hurt be used to help. I'm not talking about physical pain here. I'm, I'm talking about all the stuff that we go through, whether it's emotionally or wh whatever that is that we go through. Turn my struggle into a sacrifice. And that's how we allow God to shift our pain. So you may be going through something right now. Let me tell you, you are never going to be a kingdom influencer if you're focusing on the hurt. You're only going to be a kingdom influencer when you focus on the hurting. That's how. It's not about serving. It's not about being served. It's about serving. It's not about our pain. It's about his purpose. And so we need to be asking God to do that. Allow God to shift our pain. How can God shift our pain? How can we participate in that? You know, our attention is so important. I heard this week, I can't even remember where I heard it, but it, it was this. How can a memory be painful if it doesn't have your attention? You see, allowing God to shift our pain is directing our attention to God's pain in our life for other people instead of our pain for ourselves. And when we allow God to shift our pain, that's when we become kingdom influencers. All right, let's go on. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out if the talk of these arrogant people is just talk or, or if it has some power to it. And he goes on, he says, for the kingdom of God is not in talk, but it's about power. And then I love this last little line. You talk about spiritual fathers. He says, what do you want? What do you wish? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and spirit of gentleness. He's like being a good dad. He's like, listen, guys, you got two options here. You can straighten up, and I can come, and I can be a, a loving dad. But sometimes, if you want spiritual fathers in your life, sometimes there's got to be a little bit of a rod of correction, right? And all of us need that from time to time. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's reminding them of these things. He's basically saying in here that a son imitates 
his father. And he says, if you guys call yourself my spiritual sons, then why don't you look like me? And the last thing is this, that it's about faithfulness, not flashiness. It's not about how good we look when it comes to being a kingdom influencer. It's about being faithful, being faithful. The reality is that, that you're not far from any, that you're not like any of your spiritual fathers. You're not from any of them if you don't look like them. Being faithful. The Bible talks all about being faithful. Some people take this to an extreme. Some of you guys may have seen this picture of this guy. Look at this, uh, this guy. It's a picture. He's, there's a tornado. Some of you guys have seen this. It's a tornado. This guy is mowing the yard while the tornado is happening in the background. And his wife snaps this picture. And he's like, hey, the yard needed to be mowed. And, and they're like, he gets interviewed. And people are like, what, what were you thinking? He's like, I was keeping an eye on it. I was keeping an eye on it. <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm going to faithfully mow this yard. You know, that's faithful. I like that. That's a guy. It, that's why women live longer than men. Um, <laughs> faithfulness is a big deal in the kingdom of God. There's a recent survey, it's kind of sad, it suggests that the average church member worships within a particular church community around 24 months before moving on to another one. Because we have a problem being faithful. We have a problem sticking it out. Now, even though we talk about faithfulness as being consistent, that's one way, but the Bible talks about, Scripture talks about faithfulness a little bit different, okay? And, and it's kind of just another dimension. He talks in this Scripture here, he says, I've sent my spiritual son, Timothy, to show you an example of who I am. That's basically what he's saying. He was like, in case you forgot, I'm sending Timothy. What was the big deal about Timothy? Timothy was faithful. Now, what does faithful mean? Timothy was a, how many of you guys have ever taken a piece of paper and went to a photocopy machine and you, you put it on the little Xerox machine or whatever and it zoom, spits out and you could look at those two pieces of paper and it's going to be exactly the same, right? Why? It's a faithful copy of what you put in. You see, he says, I'm sending Timothy. Why? Not just because he's consistent, but because he's a faithful copy of who I am. He's saying that if you want to follow in my footsteps, then you, you, start, you got to start looking like what I look like. And I wonder sometimes if, we're, if we are a faithful copy of our father, or does God come down and look at us and he's like, was there a milkman involved here? Because I don't know who you are, you know? I don't even know. I don't even, you don't look like me. So, you know, was that appropriate or inappropriate? Um, explain that to your kids later. Um, it's not about you looking good in leadership or in influencing. It's about you looking like him, right? And if looking like him means I'm taking up a towel and I'm not standing on a stage, that's what I want to do. That's being a faithful copy. You know, uh, Jesus, it said, the word says that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. You see, part of success in the Christian life is finding the divine flow of what God's doing and jumping into that river and just going with wherever God's going. That's part of that we talked about a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Lord, what are you up to today and how can I be a part? That's jumping in the divine flow. And that's simply saying, Father, what are you doing today? Because I want to do that too. That's what it looks like to be a faithful copy. You know, it just means following after God, sensing what God is up to. Sometimes you only get a sense. 
Sometimes you get a thundering word and a voice. Sometimes you only get a sense. Faith is leading into that sense, saying, God, I think you're doing this today, and I'm going to be a part of it until I think you're doing something else, until I hear something different. Leadership is all about serving. Kingdom influencing is all about serving. And if you're too good of a leader to serve, Paul says you're no leader in the kingdom of God. I don't know how else I can put that. But he's like, that's what it means. It means you serve. Paul says, if, you're, if you say you're following me, but you don't look like me, then you're not following me. I'll even give you a photocopy of me. Here's Timothy. Here's a pattern. Go for it. You know, he's faithful. He's a faithful copy. It's not, like you, it's not about you being waited on like a king, is what he, he said earlier. He said, you guys got it all figured out. You're, you're a king. You're reigning. It's not about that. It's not about whether you like the music or whether you like the lights or whether, you know, I know a lot of the ladies say it's cold in here. It doesn't matter, okay? (laughs) I think it's hot. Uh, But it's not about any of those things, is it? It's about just being a faithful copy and saying, God, I'm just going to serve. Paul says, hey, you want to lead something? You want to be a kingdom influencer? Fine. Try getting beat up for a while. So you, you want to serve? He's like, That's what leadership's like. You want to influence? You're going to have some times you get beat around just a little bit. Try being somebody's punching bag for a while. It stinks, but it happens, right? And he says, you can allow God to shift your pain. That's He modeled that as an example. You say, well, my plan is just to avoid pain. Well, then you don't look like Jesus. Because you're going to have to step into it from time to time and walk through it. But the good news is we can allow God to be the shifter of our pain and the lifter of our head. The shifter of our pain and the lifter of our head. And when we allow God to be the one that lifts us up instead of we promote ourselves, that's when we can become a true kingdom influencer. When we serve with purpose and faithfulness, God is glorified and we become kingdom influencers. Leadership is not about affluence, it's about influence. And I just, I, I've got one last video. The video is or a video here at the end. It's not great quality, but I saw this little clip and I just want to let it just sit in our heart as a reminder of what real kingdom influence ought to look like in our lives and to reorient ourselves around what it really looks like. And sometimes we forget and we lose perspective. So let's go ahead and let's roll. Let me finish with this uh, story. We go to China from time to time and and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province. And they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room. It's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around, and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours, and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. And I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these 
small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up, and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize so many chapters? She said, in prison. <laughs> she said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? And she said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. And you guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big, incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. That's not meant to be a condemnation of us, but it is meant to be a reminder. It is meant to be a reminder of what we are actually called to and what kingdom leadership really looks like and what really just being a part of the body of Christ ought to look like, ought to look like. I, I, I pray there's no condemnation today, but I do pray that there is some conviction today. And that we'd walk out of, out of this place and maybe, maybe we need to hear the message just like the church in Corinth needed to hear that message. That they started to make it about all these other things instead of, again, reminding us that it's all about Jesus. We bow our heads to close our eyes for just a moment. You see, in the kingdom, if you want to be the greatest, it's about serving. 
You know, also in the kingdom, if you want to live a full life, like an abundant life, it's about laying that life down. It's not how big you can make it or how full you can make it. If you want to live a full, abundant life, it's about laying it down for Jesus. That's what scripture says. And God can come and fill it with whatever abundance that looks like for you. But you first have to lay it down. And I, I, w- I want to let you know that Jesus laid down his life for you. He took your place. He took your sin. In that, that cross, on that cross, he took all of our punishment in that moment. And, and he wants us, if we want to participate in following Jesus and to really do it. Now, I, I believe there are many people who claim to follow Christ. But listen, if we haven't taken up our cross and laid down our life first, then we're not following Jesus. If we've simply added Jesus to our life instead of laid down our life and started following him, we're not following Jesus. And Jesus laid down his life, but he rose from the dead and he conquered death, sin, hell, and the grave. And he simply says, follow me. It's like, it might not be what you think it is. It may not be what you look like, but I promise if you follow me, it'll be the greatest adventure you've ever had. And there's some people maybe in this room this morning that you have not been following Jesus. You've been following your own path, your own way. And today I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you say, I need, I need to lay down my life to Jesus. I need to follow him. I've been trying to fill up my life with all these other things, but I want the full abundant life that Jesus offers. And it, simply, the Bible says that all we have to do is simply confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus did what he said he did, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and simply say yes to Jesus and, and lay down our life to begin a brand new one. And if you need to do that, I, I need to... Just know if we need to take a moment out of this service, if that's you today, and you say, Pastor Sean, I, I just have not been following Jesus, but I want to say yes to Jesus today. I want to start to, I want to lay down my life and begin to follow Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down? And we're going to pray this morning. If that's you at all, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. All right. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Let's all pray together. I'm going to help you with the words, but there's nothing magic about this prayer. It's simply about putting words to what God's doing in our hearts. Would you all pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you paid the price, that you wiped away my sin, that you rose from the dead, and I confess that you're now in charge, that I will follow you all the days of my life, and I receive grace by faith, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much that as we serve and follow you, it's the best adventure that we could ever hope for. Lord, we thank you for changing lives. Lord, I pray that those who raised their hand, who took that step today, that they would understand that their old life is completely gone and they've started a brand new life right now. That the old is gone and there's brand new DNA in the inside of them, the brand new spiritual DNA. They've started a brand new life. Lord, I pray for freedom from sin. We thank you for that. We thank you that there's freedom from our old life and that there's freedom from the grip of Satan on our life. And we thank you that we can walk in the abundant life that you have for us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's worship the Lord one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com. 